Crime Writers Meet Crime Fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring you authors and experts to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, international acclaimed bestseller Brad Taylor again steps into the interrogation room to clear up a few things about his craft and writing. Brad retired from the U.S. Army after a 21-year career that included serving in the infantry and special forces, and with that, eight years in the 1st Special Forces Operation Detachment Delta, commonly known as Delta Force. Brad retired in 2010 and has since published a litany of Pike Logan books that has won over readers and critics alike. His writings won near universal praise, and the latest release in this series is titled American Traitor. Well, welcome to Raiders on the Beat, Brad. I'm so grateful for you to again be here this year and to discuss your writing with us. It's an honor to have you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, for everyone who doesn't have their own advanced copy of American Trader, what do you want readers to know about this latest Pike Logan book? Uh, basically, it's a, it's about the Chinese threat, which is now bubbling up on the world stage all over the place. But uh, they've been um, going around the world forever trying to expand their influence and uh, they, you know, obviously they're doing a lot of stuff in Hong Kong, and the president stated that uh, he's not going to let Taiwan go another generation, and so I thought there's a story there. Yeah, and that's uh, that's been a, a long simmering problem for most of the world that I think we've largely ignored because of economics and fear. Yeah, we've had a, a policy of strategic ambivalence, is what they call it, because we don't want. <laughs> We don't want to come right out and say we're going to defend Taiwan no matter what, because then Taiwan will declare independence and probably get us in a war. But on the other hand, we don't want um, uh, China itself to say that you know America doesn't care about Taiwan, so we can take it over. So we've kind of waffled back and forth, and there's arguments on both sides whether we need to get more firm or what we need to do. But right now, it's still the strategic ambivalence stage. Yeah, and I think that uh, ends up over time uh, just putting us in a more precarious position later. We're just kicking this can down the road, I think. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I think that nowadays with China being much more belligerent, we need to uh, make a stronger case for what we're going to do with Taiwan. But in the past, it was actually a good thing because Taiwan would have, if we just said, you know, if we had a treaty saying we're going to defend you to the death, then they declared independence, <laughs> we probably would have ended up defending them to the death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as soon as they knew that big brother was in their back pocket, yeah. For this uh, this story, you uh, already, already talked a little bit about what uh, what inspired the specific plot. I wonder, though, even though this certainly started in 2018 or 2019, how did you go about researching all of the, the locations and the strategy and the, the people that are in this book? Well, actually, it, it, the, the idea actually came to me from uh, Operator Down. I was in Lesotho, Africa, doing research for that, which is about a coup in Lesotho. And so I was looking at all the various government buildings and things like that, because that's what you would take over in a coup. And they had a brand new cell of uh, brand new government buildings. And on the side of the buildings were Chinese lettering, which I assume said something like, you know, wear a hard hat or something like that. <laughs> and I asked the guy I was with, you know, what's up with the Chinese lettering? And he said, uh, oh, the Chinese built all that for us. And I said, what did they do that for? And he said, well, they just want to be friends. And I was like, yeah, that's not what they want. <laughs> and that was my first real world in, uh, introduction to their Belt and Road Initiative. They call it the Belt and Road Initiative, which is really just a loan shark thing. Mm -hmm. where they invest in all kinds of countries around the world hoping to get favor from them. For instance, they're investing in the Caribbean right now, and in exchange, the Caribbean nations that are there are saying, we no longer recognize Taiwan, we're pulling our embassy out. 
Uh, and so that kind of sparked some interest in my head. And I started doing research on the Belt and Road and what China's doing in the South China Sea and the Spratly Islands and all that sort of stuff. And that's where the book came from. Now, in, in reading through this, um, you've written a number of Pike Logan novels to this point, <clears throat> and you've been writing him in first person at least as long as I've been reading this series. And even with that, though, this is American Trader. This is the first time as a reader that I really felt a lot of like old school, hard boiled PI in his in his voice and a lot of fourth wall breaks with me and the reader or me as the reader. And I wonder if that's just something I've been skipping past or is, is this one a little bit different? No, I think you've probably been skipping past it. I haven't really changed my writing style when he's on the page. When I wrote uh, One Rough Man, my first novel, that, that entire book was in third person POV. And I just didn't like how I couldn't convey what Pike was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and rewrote the whole thing with anytime he's on the page, it went to first person. Uh, so I could convey more information from his personal, you know, what he's seeing, what he's thinking, things like that. So uh, this is pretty much, I think, the same as the other ones. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I really enjoyed that even a little bit more in this book. And, uh, you know, I think that that is so, such a more rich experience as the reader. And I uh, imagine as, as the writer, like you say, getting to convey a lot more of that, that intimacy with the audience. Yeah, it really helps me to, you know, convey his thoughts across. And it's, you know, it's, Sometimes you don't, I don't want his thoughts to come across and the POV will be Jennifer's, which will be in third person or even the antagonist will be in third person. And I also really love that you continue finding new and appropriate roles for Amina in these stories. And especially with her having a, uh, a, a small role to help out the task force this time. Um, how, did, how did you decide on that and integrating her character in this one? Well, that was kind of fortuitous. So the, uh, I had to figure out what am I going to do with Amina. She can't be tagging along with Pike and Jennifer and all their adventures. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I put her in a boarding school here in Charleston, which I actually know the boarding school. Um, and uh, as fate would have it, all the boarders there are Chinese. <laughs> and so the, uh, as I was going along, I had you know, some problem sets of how I'm going to find this guy or how am I going to do this. And so I used her to link that together. It was just kind of a fortuitous thing. With uh, Amina's character and her background and personality, I really feel as a reader that there's got to be an Amina-focused series somewhere in your future. Is that something you're kicking around now? Uh, no. I, I mean, I have, we have thought about it. I've thought about it for Aaron and Shoshana future, a Knuckles spinoff, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I, I give 100% in each book. Each book is 100% this is what I'm going to do. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, once you do that, you've created – you know, the universe is finite. Once I created Amina, she was there. So I have to figure out, I can't just have her right off in the sunset because then everybody say, what happened to Amina, the, the regular readers. On the other hand, I can't have her, you know, overtaking the book like she did in Daughter of War. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been kind of hard to figure out what I was going to do with her. Uh, and in our, our past discussions, it seems like every year that I talk to you, it uh, makes me a lot more paranoid about my own privacy and uh, tech security. And you did that again with this book and uh, the discussion on uh, Roomba. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 I think um, with all of the, the continuing reliance of our society on, on tech that invades our privacy, um, it seems like I'm on this lonely, paranoid island. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and they, they all do it in a way that, uh, you know, on the surface doesn't seem like a bad idea until you think of some kind of malignant way you could use it. And what mm -hmm. you're referring to for the people listening, the Roomba is, you know, an, uh, 
iRobot vacuum that vacuums up your house. And it uses artificial machine learning to figure out where your furniture is. So the first time it vacuums a house, it bumps into everything. The second time it bumps into about half of them. By the 40th time, it knows your layout of your house and it can go zipping around vacuuming. Well, that layout's also stored in the cloud. So if you hack the clouds, anybody can get a floor map of your house and know exactly what room holds what. Yeah, you know, and for, you know, some of my, and my contrarian friends say, you know, well, who cares about my house? Well, sure, who cares about you or me? But, you know, if, uh, if you're any kind of, uh, have any kind of position that puts you on the target list or uh, makes you uh, tantalizing for someone else, uh, you know, it could be a real issue. Well, I'd say if you say, who cares about my house? It doesn't have to be, you know, the Chinese access in the Roomba. It could be a criminal. So a criminal wants to get in and out of your house as fast as possible. So he's going to identify you'll label all the rooms, you know, this is bedroom mm -hmm. one, this is a den, whatever. And he can then focus his efforts when he breaks in a house, I know exactly where I'm gonna go. Yeah, and with all the, all the emerging uh, new systems of AI learning and then this fall, all of the tech startups and massive IPOs for AI companies, um, it definitely seems like this is only accelerating in, uh, in the way it's gonna become so even more pervasive throughout our economy. And China's at the forefront of it. They've specifically said by um, 20, I think it's 2035, they want to be the world's leader in artificial intelligence. And they have a dedicated cell to do that. And our artificial intelligence all developed by uh, competing companies who are trying to develop something specific. They just develop it as an overarching technology. And we've tried to keep up with them, which I think is kind of hypocritical. Um, the Department of Defense started an AI program called MAVEN, which was this huge mm -hmm. overarching AI program. And... Uh, Google and a couple other companies were working with them and their employees got all upset because they were working with the Department of Defense. They wrote a bunch of letters and they all pulled out of our, the United States AI program, but they're more than willing to help China. Yeah, I was really disappointed when that happened and uh, that if you want to get out of defense or military technologies, you don't help China. <laughs> right. It, is, it's, it makes absolutely no sense. Well, the other thing that doesn't make any sense is these tech companies don't realize how much the Department of Defense has developed for themselves. I mean, the internet mm -hmm. was created by the Department of Defense. Google would not exist if the Department of Defense hadn't invented the internet. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a self-defeating prophecy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and a lot of the technologies that we take for granted um, came out of the space race and NASA in the 60s and 70s. Well, also just weapons procurement. The microwave oven you have in your house right now was developed by the military not because they were making ovens, but because they were developing microwave technology. And then somebody in the civilian world said, hey, I can use that to cook stuff. It's, it's non-radiating, it'll be great. Yeah. With uh, this book coming out you know, next month in, in January, what's next on the plate for, for Pike and the task force? Uh, right now I'm kicking around, uh, there's a uh, organization which I've wanted to use forever. I, I found them in a book a long time ago when I was doing research over in Rome. Uh, the Knights of Malta, and they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're almost, uh, they're, they have a seat at the UN, they have their own passports, they make their own currency, but they don't own any terrain, and so they're kind of a weird organization that's been around since the Crusades. Uh, they've been bouncing all over the place, and now they're in Rome, and it's kind of a unique organization, so I'm looking at using them. Oh, that's fantastic. Where can readers hook up with, uh, with you and follow the uh, adventures and releases of Pike and Company? Uh, I'm on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, Instagram. My website's bradtaylorbooks.com. They can read an excerpt of any of the books, including uh, American Traders got an excerpt on there right now. Fantastic. 
I like to end a lot of our, our shows with a, with a hypothetical, Brad, and I wonder if you were to find yourself in a position somewhat similar to uh, some of those you placed Pike and company in in this book, and if you found yourself surprised on vacation by having to go rescue an old colleague, and you could only tap in two fictional characters to bring along with you, not from the task force, <laughs> who do you want to bring? Uh, I probably, you should ask me this question, give me some time to think about it. <laughs> that defeats the purpose, put you on the spot. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd probably bring uh, Mitch Rapp and Lucas Davenport. Mitch mm. Rapp from the uh, um, Vince Flynn's series and Lucas Davenport from John Sanford, the uh, detective. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an excellent uh, other task force right there. Yeah, there's no problem that won't solve. I, I greatly appreciate your, your time, Brad, and uh, discussing this book with us and sharing your expertise. This is a fantastic read, and I'm so grateful that you continue writing this series. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Writers on the Beach, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been international acclaimed bestseller Brad Taylor. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.